Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I'm the executive director. So this week, Christina, girl who was just singing, she calls me and she says, hey, got a bunch of my friends coming to church on Sunday. Make sure you do a good job for them. You mind? And I said, okay, I'll see what I can do this week. I mean, the other ones are garbage, but I'll see if I can make it better today. Appreciate it. Anyway, so if you missed last week's garbage message, we were talking about the first week of the life of David. And so for the next couple of weeks, what we're doing is we're taking a look at this guy named David, and we're asking a couple of questions. Number one, why was he so important? Why did God use him? How did God use him? And, and what can we learn from his life? So if you're not familiar with who this guy is, just a baseline sort of definition that we can work with is that David is considered to be the greatest king of Israel. So you're familiar with uh, Israel, the nation. They have been around for thousands and thousands of years. David was not their first king, but he was their greatest king. And as we mentioned last week, he was not perfect. And we're going to talk about this in upcoming weeks. In fact, he made some pretty big errors in his life. Um, but he did have a heart for God uh, and, and a willingness to serve him. And as we spoke about last week, that is all God needs from us. God is not he does not care about the externalities, what you've got going on in your life. All he wants to know is, do you love me, and will you say yes to serving me? And he'll take it from there. So today's message falls into the category of what I kind of call the Sunday School Hall of Fame. Um, if you grew up going to church and you were a kid, and your parents dropped you off downstairs while they went to the adult church, you were in what we call Sunday School, or kids programming, whatever. And today's story is called David and Goliath. About a 15-year-old shepherd boy. Actually, this time he's probably more like 18. And this huge giant named Goliath. And kids love this story because it's a great one. But it's really a lot more than just a kid's story. I believe that when you read it and when we talk about it today, what you're going to find out is it's, it's really about how we approach giants in our life. And giants can be anything. These can be issues that you're dealing with, these bad situations. Or, or maybe it's something that God has called you to do. Or, or some issue, maybe even at work, some new opportunity. But these are these things that loom large in our life that are seemingly frightening. And I think this story today kind of gives us a little bit of a grasp on how to handle it and a little bit more of a healthier perspective. So last week we talked about the anointing of David. Saul is the current and the first king of Israel. And, and he was doing a phenomenal job as king until he wasn't anymore. And eventually one day he disobeyed God. And God said, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to continue to let Saul be the king, but I need a new guy. I need somebody new. And so God asked his prophet Samuel to go and anoint the next king. And that ended up being a 15-year-old shepherd boy named David. Fast forward two to three years. Israel now finds itself under attack by a military powerhouse. Okay, as I said, David's probably about 18 years old. But the nation of Israel, and David knows that at some point he is going to be the king of this nation, the nation finds itself under attack by a military powerhouse. And that's where we pick up the story today. Now, all day long, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. And it's a long story, so I've chopped a lot out. But I still want to cover a bunch of it with you because I think it's important for us both to read it together. But I would encourage you this week, if you have time, go back and read the entire account of David and Goliath. It's great. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkot in Judah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill 
and the uh, Israelites another with the valley between them. So I actually wanted to see if I could find a picture of this so that you can keep it in your mind. So found this on Google. I did not put these words or the arrows because Adam was like, why did you label the creek? I said, I don't know. I just, it was there. So just, <laughs> you know, why didn't they label this? Anyway, so here's the Valley of Allah. And the entire story that you're going to hear takes place in this valley. But on this hill, you've got the Israelites. And on this hill, you're going to have the Philistines. And what's so interesting about this picture, I don't know if you think the same way I do, but when I picture Israel, and I picture the Middle East, I think of dirt and like dust and rocks and these mountains. And this could honestly be, you know, North Carolina or something. So that surprised me. So keep this in your mind as we continue to go through this story today. Continues. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. And he was over nine feet tall. It's a hard stop on that one. Because some of you who have grown up in church, you probably read this and you go, yeah, nine feet tall, no big deal, whatever. That's what it says. Some of you are probably like, I doubt that. That's probably not true. So I did some research. Um, most of the original manuscript, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about different translations of the Bible, like the King James and the, you know, the NIV. I'm not saying that. Most original manuscripts, the handwritten ones, actually do put him at about nine and a half feet tall. Now, they didn't obviously use feet. They used some other measurement. But that's what they have him measured at. However, there are some earlier manuscripts that say that he's probably about six and a half feet tall. So whatever the case may be, this guy is big. He's much bigger than everybody else that's around there. He's scary. He's an imposing figure. He's a giant for them. It continues to describe him. It said he's got a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor weighing 5,000 shekels. That's 125 pounds. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's 15 pounds. What's interesting, and, and I didn't know this, but not every nation had iron back then. In fact, the Philistine army was one of the very few nations that had iron, and the Israelites did not. And so while this Philistine army was coming at them with not only a giant, but metal swords and metal weapons, the Israelites had just wooden weapons. That's scary. So Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of the Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? I mean, am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? He's basically saying, I mean, we're the Philistines. Look at our superior weaponry. And you guys are just, you're Saul's guys. Why even come out to fight? Go home. But if we're going to fight, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve him. This day, I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And as you continue to read this account, what you learn is that Goliath taunted them relentlessly for 40 days. It describes it as every morning and every night for 40 days he taunted them. And that's my understanding that really what happens is it's all day long. Morning and night means all day long, continuously. This man was shouting across that valley and saying, why are you even showing up? I will destroy you. And this isn't just some battle. You have to understand what was at stake for the Israelites. Because if they lost, and it seemed like they were going to, it was the end of Israel. 
this nation that God had promised to bless, if they lost it, this huge giant, over, it's done with. And, not to mention, they'd all be dead. I mean, certainly the Philistines would slay the entire army. And because Goliath promises, they knew that their friends at home, their family at home, would be enslaved. So it's no surprise that they were dismayed and terrified. No surprise there. So when I read this account, and I see the way that Goliath is going after these people day and night, relentlessly, time and time again, never letting up. My understanding from this is that the enemy's goal is to fill you with fear and strip away your confidence. And I'll name the enemy. I think it's Satan's goal to fill you with fear and to strip away your confidence. So let me ask you a question. In what area of life are you struggling? Because everybody struggles with something. So, so what area is it for you? I mean, is it a relationship? Is your marriage on the rocks? Is your marriage on the rocks? As, son, as one of the spouses mentioned the D word, I think it's time we start talking about divorce. Is it addiction for you? I mean, have you found yourself relying on wine or alcohol much more than you used to? I mean, did it start off with a pain in your neck and you went to the pills and the next thing you know, it's hard drugs? Is it depression? Can you not even get out of bed? Are you asking yourself, why am I even here? Why is it worth it? Or maybe it's debt. Maybe, maybe for you, the spending has gotten out of control and your hands are cuffed and you don't know which way is up. Where are you struggling in your life where the enemy is yelling, why even line up for battle? Give up. It's useless. Your marriage, it's over. It's over. Walk away. Walk away. It's not going to get better. Your addiction, keep using. I mean, nobody really cares what's going on in your life anyway. Keep using. It's not really doing any problem. Keep relying on it. You're never going to beat it. Give in. Debt, you're never going to get out of it. So just keep spending. Keep spending, and you'll figure out that problem then eventually. Keep going. Keep going. See, as adults, we tell, these, we tell kids something, and it's kind of juvenile, but we say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I never said that as a kid, right? But some kids did, right? And the reality is that this isn't true. This isn't true. Words are so damaging. They're so painful, and there's so much power in words. And the enemy knows this. And if you're not careful, the enemy's words can enter our hearts and take us out of the game. The next thing you know, you're saying, yeah, you know what? This marriage isn't going to work. That's it. You know what? I'm just going to keep drinking. I'm just going to keep using the drugs because it doesn't matter. Nobody loves me. I'm never going to get better. There's no hope. So the story continues. David is sent by his father to give a care package to his brothers on the front line of battle. We met his father last week, Jesse. He goes to David, all right, here, here's some food. I need you to go make your way into that valley of Elah, make your way up that hill, and find your brothers and give them this food. Can you do that for me? I can do that. So what's interesting is that as you read the account, David makes his way through the battle lines, he finds his brothers, and while he's there, he hears Goliath, and he hears the taunts morning and night. He hears what everybody else hears. But unlike Saul, the king of Israel, and unlike the soldiers, David was offended. He wasn't scared. 
He was offended by what this man, this giant, was saying. So we read this. So David looked around and he asked, standing the guys near him, he goes, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? I think it's interesting that he never refers to him as a giant. He says, this Philistine who's a disgrace. What's going to happen to the guy who can get rid of him? Who is this pagan Philistine that he is allowed? I love that word. He's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. He's basically like, what have you guys been doing here? You're allowing this man over there to defy our God, to speak badly about him. Why are you guys letting this happen? I think what's going on here is that for the armies, for Saul, for Israel, all they saw was the giant. All they saw was that giant, morning and night, but David only saw his God. All he saw in the midst of that valley was his God who was being disgraced by this Philistine. So David makes his way to go find Saul. He tells him, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Not a big deal. I'll handle this. I'll go to it. And Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. You see, he's 18 years old, like I said, 17, 18. And you couldn't be in the army until you were 20. He's saying, you can't even be in the army. And this guy, he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. He didn't let up. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by its jaw and I club it to death. And I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. He's basically saying, whatever it is, lion, bear, this giant, whatever life throws at me, I can handle it. I can do it. Before you think he's a little cocky, he ends by saying this, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. You see, at no point in David's life did he ever forget who truly was the king of Israel. I mean, he knew one day that he'd be on the throne, but he knew who really was on the throne. And he knew that even though he might be the agent who, be, who beat the lions and the bears, he knew who was actually doing the fighting. So let me ask you this question. What are the lions and the bears in your life? I mean, think back. What are the lions and the bears in your life? Maybe it was a financial miracle. Maybe at some point in your life, you were down on your luck, and you were praying for that next job or that next paycheck or something to come in because things are getting tight. And all of a sudden, whoa, that job came along. That paycheck came along, and things are miraculously better. Maybe it's a restored relationship. Maybe you thought things could never get better with your mother or your father or your spouse or your kids, and then miraculously, it did. And maybe not overnight. But that relationship that you thought was broken forever has been restored. Or maybe it's just a turnaround event. Maybe you're somebody who needed housing. You're about to lose your place. And you don't know what you're going to do. But you prayed and you prayed. And not only did God give you housing, 
but he blessed you in a way that you could have never imagined. See, the reality is this. I believe that God has given us these private victories to build our confidence in him. David beat the lions. He beat the bears. It was in private. Nobody really knew, but his confidence was boosted. And he had faith in God that God was with him then and he'll be with him in the future. So what are your lions and your bears? Those private little battles that build your victories and build your confidence. See, I believe that God has given us private battles in preparation for greater things. When David was fighting those lions and fighting those bears, there is no way that he thought that in a few years he would be battling a giant for the God of Israel. And for us, we have no idea why we went through the things that we went through in preparation for the things that we're going through today and what God might ask us to do tomorrow. So Saul said, you know what? And I find this amazing. I was just thinking about this today. Saul said, all right, I'll let you fight David. I mean, he put the entire in Israel in the hands of David. I'll let you fight him, but you got to use my armor. Saul gave David his own armor. And David put it on and strapped the sword over and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he said. I'm not, I'm not used to them. I, this is not me. I've never fought in armor before. God never, he never gave me this before when I fought the lions and the bears. This is just not me. I can't do it. So he took them off. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then Armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. So when I read this, and specifically when I hear David talking about not just the lions and the bears, but talking about the fact that he had never worn armor before. This is not how he trained. This is not how God used him in the past. I believe that what we can see from this is that your past has prepared you for your present. When it comes time to fight that giant, when it comes time for God to say, I need you now to serve me, I think what we learn from that is that you need to be yourself. He, he trained you in a way, and he gave you opportunities that are special. And he's saying, you can't rely on anybody else's faith. You can't rely on anybody else's armor. It's your own, and it's what I've given you, and it's what I've prepared you to use. So there's an interesting interaction that takes place in the New Testament, and it's between Jesus and one of his disciples named Simon. You may know him as Peter. He's got two names. And if you're not paying attention, you can miss this interaction really quickly. It's only about a sentence. But I think it speaks to this idea that what happened in your past has prepared you for what God is going to use you now and how he'll use you for the rest of your life. It says this, and this is Jesus talking. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And I think that's interesting, just as an aside, that Satan has to ask permission to mess you up, but he wants to. Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I, Jesus, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, when it's over, strengthen your brothers. I think what Jesus is saying to Simon Peter, I think what he's saying to us is that those ugly times in your life that seemingly had no purpose, those really dark times in your life where you found yourself saying, why, God? Why is this happening to me? 
where are you? I thought you loved me, but you don't seem to be anywhere. Why? I think Jesus is saying in this moment to Simon Peter, he's saying, don't waste that pain. Don't waste that pain. Satan wants to mess you all up. That is a guarantee. But here's what you need to understand. When you come through the other side, and you will because I'm praying for you, and you might be a little worse for the wear, you need to understand that God has equipped you. He has equipped you to help others struggling with the same situation. I think Jesus is saying to all of us is that only you can do what you can do with what you have. Only you can do what you can do with what you have. Nobody else has had the situations that you've had, the experiences that you've had. And what Jesus is saying to all of us, and we see it in the life of David, is that you are uniquely qualified and strategically placed to serve God in a way that no one else can. Only David had the training that he had to fight Goliath. He was the only guy that could do it. He was the only one that had the faith to be in this kind of a situation. He was uniquely qualified and strategically placed to fight that giant. So the question is this. Many people look at a pastor and they go, you're the guy who's going to serve God. No, not according to Jesus. Every single one of you has gone through things, events, ups and downs, victories and defeats, particular education, right? You live in certain neighborhoods. You have certain skin tones. Everybody is unique. And you are exactly where God wants you to be to serve someone that you can make an impact in their life. That's why you're there. That's why you've gone through what you can do. And all those times, Jesus is saying, when you cried out, why God, now you know. Because what you went through, now it's your turn to help somebody else going through that. Story wraps up. David is now out in front of Goliath. He replied to Goliath, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. It's not me. I'm just an agent, okay? I'll kill you and cut off your head, but the Lord will conquer you. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. One of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. Kids love it. Adults love it. The question is, what do you do with a story like this? Right? It's a great narrative. It's a phenomenal story. But what's the practical? If it's your first time here at DHC, every week we put this word on the screen. Because we want to make sure that you guys know what to do with what you've heard. That you can leave on a Sunday and know how to put into practice everything that God wants you to get from a message. Because if it's just a good story, it's meaningless. It's just information. We want you to know what to do with it. So, number one, don't believe the taunts. Don't believe the taunts. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I can tell you this. 
That enemy is loud in your ears. And sometimes it may sound like your own voice. Give up. It's over. Your marriage is done. Keep drinking. Keep using the drugs. Doesn't matter. Why even line up for battle? Who do you think you are? Don't believe the taunts. They're just words, but they're powerful. Very powerful. Don't let them get into your head. Don't let them take you out of the game because Satan would love nothing more than for you to be put on a shelf and can't be used by God. Don't let that happen. Number two, I would encourage you to name your lions and your bears. Those private victories, those private battles that no one knew was going on in your life. And, and maybe, maybe you didn't even realize at the time that this was God working in your life. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus, but at this time you, that you weren't a Christian back then. But now you can look back and you go, my gosh, even when I didn't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, he was there with me back then. And he gave me the opportunities to have success and build my trust that I could get to a place where I say, Lord, I trust you. And I know that you are with me and you are with me now and you will be with me in the future. And lastly, embrace your unique opportunity to serve God. Don't underestimate your worth in serving God. Every single one of us has a unique story and unique experiences. And you may look down on your past, and society may say, hmm, not so good. But guess what? The Lord blessed you with those opportunities so that when you come through, because he's praying for you right now, when you come through, it is time for you to go and strengthen your brothers who are dealing with the same thing. Don't waste that pain. Don't waste that pain. Embrace your unique opportunity to serve someone right here and right now because there's someone in your life who you have tremendous influence with. I don't have any influence with them. Christina doesn't. Only you, only you can do what you can do with what you have. Embrace that. Embrace that. Say yes to God, and he will use you to change those lives. And remember, God will help you slay the giants in your life. That's a promise. The question is, will you say yes to fighting those giants? Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, I just, I feel like there is a lot of people in this room right now that have some massive, massive giants who are relentlessly taunting them and who are dangerously close to believing their lies. I just pray, God, that like David, you would allow them to see you and that this, this giant that looms large would just be nothing but a disgrace. God, that you would give them the strength to see all the times in the past that you were with them, even when they didn't realize it, Lord. And I pray that right here, right now, that they would be filled with your power, that you would make them brave, Lord. Allow them to fight this giant in a way that perhaps they never thought they could. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.